Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles today to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're continuing our study. We started out with knowing, then we talked about growing, and today we're talking about going. Knowing, to have the assurance of your salvation. That's what the knowing part was. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Then we talked about growing, my own spiritual growth. Am I growing as a disciple of Christ? And today we're going to talk about going. Am I sharing my faith with others? When I was a little boy, a lady lived across the street. I can't remember her name, but she had cats. And she hardly ever came out of her house. We would go, we'd play in her front yard, we'd play in her driveway. It was a real steep driveway, so it was great for riding down and, and rolling down and having fights in the yard and rolling off the grass. And that was one of our favorite places to play, but I don't think I ever saw her leave her house. There were times when we were in her front yard where she would peek out of the curtains and we'd kind of scatter a little bit and come back. She didn't leave. She, somebody had said that she had, was it agoraphobia, the fear of, of being around people? So she stayed in her home. And I don't know what had happened in her life that caused her to be isolated in her house. But I, I thought about that, ladies, I was preparing the sermon today, and how sometimes that's a picture of the church. Something may have occurred as a, as a church, and we just decide we're just going to stay in, and we're going to have our holy huddle week after week. And maybe we might encounter other people, but it's really going to be all about us. Well, it shouldn't be. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you, speaking of disciples, followers of Christ, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Jesus' great commission. We're gonna focus on that in just a moment and then look at a couple of other passages. Hold that place and look with me at Matthew chapter 5. The same theme here about sharing our faith. Verse 14. Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to his disciples again, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. Verse 16 is important. In the same way, in other words, just like a light is to shine in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and to give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's talk about sharing our faith. Number one, I, as a follower of Christ, as a believer, as a Christian, I am expected to share Jesus Christ with others. Make that personal. I am expected to share Jesus Christ with others. The Bible is clear. As a follower of Christ, it is an expectation, not a maybe, not a hopeful, hopeful but I am expected. Look at Acts 1.8 then. When he says you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, you will be my witnesses. It is a given that a follower of Christ will be sharing their faith with other people. In the Great Commission, in chapter 28 of the book of Matthew, Jesus said this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That first word in the Great Commission, go, literally in the original language means as you go. 
He's not saying, I want you to go. He's saying, you will be going. And as you go, I want you to share your faith. I want you to make disciples. It is the main reason that you and I have been left here on this planet once we receive Christ. What other reason could there be? If, you're, if you've received Christ and you're ready for heaven, why doesn't God just take you right away? Because he wants you to stay here and make an impact, make a difference in the lives of other people. It is a given in 1 Peter chapter 2, as, as Peter's uh, quoting the Old Testament, that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. He says this, that you, the people of God, may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Put that with what Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world, and you're to proclaim the fact that you've been called out of darkness by his marvelous, wonderful light. We are not called just to gather. It is something we should do. We talked about that last week as part of the, the process of discipleship, that we're together together and we're to be with other believers and we're to, to rub shoulders with one another. And as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We talked about that. But that is not the sole purpose of the church. The church is to be the church outside these four walls, not just a weekly holy huddle, but out in the community. I am expected to share my faith with others. About 20 years ago, a small Canadian software company came up with this incredible uh, solution to the problem of dissecting frogs and stuff in the classroom so the kids didn't have to smell like formaldehyde. Can you all remember those days of dissecting things? They came up with a virtual software package where you could virtually take your computer mouse and dissect a frog, never touching a real frog. Pretty good, right? Some of you say, that's sign me up for that one. And they could still learn how to dissect a frog. The Christian life doesn't work that way. We can't just talk about sharing our faith. We can't just say, well, I've, I've learned about it. I virtually could do it. We're to be out there making contact with other people. I'm expected to share my faith. I've got some handouts in the foyer. I love handouts. Just to give you some more information, this one, this ivory one is 20 evangelistic conversation starters. I've shared this with you before, but there's just some great statements that you can make or questions that you can ask to get the conversation started. If you're expected to share your faith, I've found that one of the most difficult things is just getting the conversation started, right? Just to, just to get into that conversation. I encourage you to pick one of those up. I'm expected. Number two, I am empowered by God's Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is great. Acts 1.8 again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, this is Jesus, the, the, Jesus talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come to dwell within the church permanently, and he's talking about that, but he's saying to his disciples, for us, once we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us, and we will have his power. I am empowered by God's Holy Spirit. I love the story in Acts chapter 4 of, of Peter and John, and they're out there ministering, and they're, they're brought to before the, the, the leaders that are trying to get them to stop, and this is what the Bible says about them. When they observed in Acts chapter 4, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, untrained, some translations say ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know what the, uh, a paraphrase of that is? They recognized the Holy Spirit's power within these men. There was something different about their lives. Don't ever discount or underestimate the impact of your changed life, of God's Holy Spirit living within you so that you can share Christ with others. Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus is predicting the persecution that's going to come to his disciples in, in verse 20. He says this, because you are not speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. He says to them, don't worry about what to say when you're confronted. 
Because the Spirit of, your, the, of God is going to be speaking through you. Let him take over. Let him give you the words. Let him be the one that, that fills you and speaks through you. I've got a pair of gloves on my workbench back home. And you can still see it. It's kind of faded. It says Magnolia. Kelly bought these gloves at Magnolia Market for me. Ladies, y'all know who Magnolia Market is, right? So we had this idea. We're standing in front of our house. This is Kelly's idea, but I went with it. We're standing in front of our house, and all of our furniture and worldly belongings are piled up in this big trash pile after Harvey, a couple of, maybe a month after, I'm not sure. We haven't even started on the house. And so we, we took a picture of these gloves with Magnolia, and she Instagrammed it and hashtagged Chip and Joanne and all that stuff, thinking that maybe they would say, hey, that guy's wearing our gloves. We'll go down and help him rebuild his house. So that did not work. However, we got a great house. Kelly, Kelly says she just channeled Joanna Gaines. That's how, she got the, that's how she got the house looking the way it is. They didn't come help us, but we tried. But those gloves are laying on my workbench right now. They're just there. They're not any good to any, anybody until my hands get in those gloves. Does that make sense? Think of your life as a glove. You, you are a glove. Until God's Holy Spirit takes over, takes charge, fills you, there's nothing that's going to happen that's significant, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. I love John Stott's story. John Stott, a, a great uh, hero of the faith, tells a story about back in 1958, he was at the University of Sydney, Australia, sharing the gospel with students. And he got news that his father had passed away, and he was getting sick. He wasn't feeling good. And, and, and he says in addition to his grief, he started losing his voice, but he figured, I can't give up this, this teaching assignment. Let me just read you John Stott's words. He said, it was already late in the afternoon within a few hours of the final meeting of the mission, so I didn't feel I could back away from that time. I went to the great hall and asked a few students to gather around me, and I asked one of them to read, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness out of 2 Corinthians 12. He says a student read these verses, and then I asked them to lay hands on me and, and pray that those verses might be true in my own experience. I love this. He says, when I came, the time came for me to give my address. I preached on the broad and narrow ways from Matthew 7. I had to get within half an inch of the microphone, and I croaked the gospel like a raven. I couldn't exert myself, my personality. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't use inflections in my voice. I croaked the gospel in monotone. And then when the time came to give the invitation, there was an immediate response, larger than any other meeting during that mission, as students came flocking forward to receive Christ. He goes on to say, I've been back to Australia 10 times since then, and every time I go back, somebody walks up to me and says, remember that, that day? And he's thinking, yeah, the day I croaked the gospel, I came to Christ that day. Folks, that is nothing but the power of God's Holy Spirit taking over in our weakness and using us for his glory. What a privilege to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Number three, if we're gonna share our faith, we need to understand this. I have experienced a changed life. I mentioned that a moment ago. I always get ahead of myself. I have experienced a changed life. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, a passage we look at often. Chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, I love that, 
New things have come. That word look there, is a, some translations say behold. It's, it's reserved for those statements in Scripture. Behold the Lamb. That, that When Scripture speaks of that, that, that you have to look at this significant thing. Behold, in Revelation 21, I make all things new. Behold, now is the time of God's favor out of Isaiah. That's that word there. Look, things are new in your life. He says the old has passed away. Can you say that about your life? The old habits, the old values. The old desires, old conversations, old times of leisure, whatever, those old things have passed away. I was talking with a little girl this week, going through rehearsing the the gospel with her. She made a commitment to camp. We talked about that. The old you, when you were the boss of your life, is no longer there. The old things have passed. And then he says, behold, look, wow. That's my paraphrase. Wow, all things have come new New habits now, a new life of forgiveness, freedom, joy, hope, new values, new relationships, new goals, new dreams, newness. I have experienced a changed life. Still in 2 Corinthians, look at chapter 2 with me, verse 14 and 15. Paul talks about this when he says, thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place, every place for, to God we are the, we believers, followers of Christ, are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To some who are, we are the aroma of death leading to death, but to others the aroma of life leading to life. Paul says some people are going to hear the gospel and it's going to be, it's going to be life. It's going to be rejoicing because they're going to accept Christ and they're going to have a new life. Others are going to hear the gospel. He talks about death there and it's just going to cause them to become hardened and further from Christ. I have experienced a changed life. Paul says these two metaphors here. I'm, I'm on display in Christ in verse 14 there. It's, a, it's a, a word that was used that talked about the Roman troops as the, as the Roman general would come into town after a great victory and he would march through the streets of the city and they'd be burning the incense and they'd be playing the, the music and all the soldiers would be marching. And in that procession, as they came through this victory procession, there would be the prisoners that had been captured and they'd be in chains and they'd be marched through the streets of the city and it'd be a victory celebration and a lot of those prisoners would be marching to their execution but they were put on display. So when Paul used that word there, the church at Corinth, they, they got the message. They knew what it was like for the Romans to celebrate that they conquered their, their enemies and were putting their enemies on display. Paul says in Christ we are on display. But I love the, the, if you take the metaphor to the full extreme here, the general is not gloating. The general, there's a general of grace here that even though we're, we're, we were enemies uh, to God, we have now been reconciled with him through Christ, and there, there's this picture of grace there. We are put on display, once God's enemy, now surrender to him. And then he uses the word there, fragrance, in verse 15. For we are the fragrance of Christ. Some translations, aroma. Again, the Jews reading that would have understood the Old Testament sacrificial system, whether it was, was, was no after the flood or would have, whether it would have been the, the priests offering up an offering that, that as the burnt offering went up, it was an aroma pleasing to God. Not that there was anything magical in the smoke, but that it demonstrated a surrendered, a surrendered life. The pagans here that would have read Paul's statement that we're the fragrance of Christ, they would have probably thought about the pagan temple. They had this understanding that when incense was burned, the presence of their pagan deity was there. 
So whichever one of those they would, they would grab onto, the truth is the same, that, that we as followers of Christ are his fragrance, his aroma, his presence in the lives of other people. Have you ever walked in a room and there's conversation going on and the conversation stops and they change the subject? What's that about? I know it's not because you're the preacher. I experience that all the time. It's because when you walk in a room often, God's Holy Spirit walks in with you and they sense his presence and they sense, I better stop talking about what I was talking about. Now, I've walked in rooms before and they stopped talking because they were talking about me. That's not good. You can always tell when that happens, right? There's something in there and you can just know they were talking about you. But when they stop talking and change the subject because it was inappropriate, it's because God's Holy Spirit walks in the room. Look at verse 14 again. You are the aroma and the knowledge of him in every place. I love that. Every place. Everywhere you go, God's Holy Spirit is with you, and his presence is with you, and you are the aroma, you are the fragrance in every single place. The gospel permeates your life. Did you know that? We're always praying about, go, God, give me the words and the boldness to know how to share, what to share. And the Bible says, God's Holy Spirit lives within you, and his presence permeates. The gospel permeates wherever you go. No, it's not you who are, who are the source of the fragrance. It's Christ in you. Every place you go. And Paul says the gospel, is he going to either open a door to life, or people might reject Christ and choose to be spiritually separated, which is called spiritual death. Author Michael Green shares a story about a, a missionary uh, language school in China, and the teacher walked in the room the first day of class and just, just walked around in the classroom, didn't say a word, just walked around through every you know, aisle between the desks and stuff, and then before saying a word, walked out of the classroom again, and they're all looking at each other like, what was that about? Then a few minutes later, the teacher walks back in the room and says, okay, what did you notice about me? And it was just quiet. They're thinking, what are we supposed to say? What did you, what, what did, so one, finally one girl raised her hand and says, I just remembered when you walked through, you had really nice smelling perfume. And the whole, the whole class laughed. And the teacher said, that's it, the perfume. She said, and what a great illustration. She said, before you were able to translate one word in Chinese, your life is going to be the fragrance of Christ. And you're going to be leading people to Christ by your very lifestyle, by your very life, even before you can speak a word in Chinese. Don't, don't underestimate the impact that your changed life can have in the lives of others. Back in Matthew chapter 5, I want to look at that again. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. This little light of mine, I'm going to what? Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That's the key here. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Let your light make an impact on others so they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Change life. People can't argue with that. I once was lost, and now I'm found. Remember the blind man, they, the, the, the religious leaders quizzed me and said, man, I don't know who that man was, but I was once blind, and now I can see. Talking of Jesus, 
a changed life. I love the story of Robert Cheeseborough, the inventor of Vaseline. He, he saw this, this residue on drilling rigs on, on a drilling platform and saw that goo and thought, and, and noticed some of the guys were putting it on their cuts and bruises and their, their, their burns and stuff. He thought, there's got to be something about this. And he discovered that there were healing power, powers in that. And so he took it and he purified it. And they advertised to this day, I did some research on this, that it's triple purified before they put it in the jar. But it's just a byproduct of drilling. And he tried to market that, and nobody would buy it, nobody wanted it. So he set up at one of those big fairs, I think in New York, and, and, and cut himself and burned himself, and then took that Vaseline and put it on himself. And here's what they said about him. They said the very scars were evidence of the healing power of the product he was selling. When people looked at the healed scar, they said, that stuff must work. Did y'all get it? When they look at our lives... And we demonstrate by the very fact that we're different, that we're new, it's attractive to them, and they want that. I shared a little bit about my testimony. I remember walking out of church one Sunday morning, and I was a teenager, and my parents had started back in church, and, and had, their lives had turned around, and, and I went to church a couple of times. And I remember that first Sunday morning, the, the pastor preached on a carnal Christian, a person who says they're a Christian but lives in the world. And we're walking out the church, and the pastor was shaking hands, and my mom was right in front of me, my mom, little sweet mom. And she says to the pastor, I didn't like that sermon. I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> mom. And she just stood there, and I don't remember what he said, but, but, but she said right after that, but I needed it. And I watched her change life, and that's what was attractive to me, and my dad's changed life. And I, I mentioned that before. Don't underestimate the power of a changed life. Let your light shine. Impact others. I was sharing with someone this week, and they were sharing how, how just looking at the lives of some of the people in this church, the, the, the peace and the calm that, that we have, it's been attractive, a desire to know Christ. You've experienced it, so have I. Heard a devotional on the radio a while back. It was about a king who built a church for his people. And he didn't install any lights in the church, but instead gave every family a lantern so that when they came to church, all their lights would be gathered. The light. And that devotional was, that's the purpose of the light. And I thought, no, that's not. It's kind of got it reversed, Right? We, we've been given the light not to bring it together and make a light in this room, but to take it out there and let our light so shine before men in the community in Rockport, Fulton, Portland, Aransas, Ingleside, wherever you're from, so that they may see your changed life and bring glory to your Father. Number four, I should be equipped with a ready response. If I'm going to share the gospel, I should be equipped with a, a ready response response. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter's talking about suffering. He says we don't have to fear, but he says, but honor the Messiah or Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. That word defense, some translations say answer. I think that's a, a really a better translation. It's the word apologia in Greek. We got our word apology from. That's where apologetics comes from, to give an answer for the hope that we have. 
However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear. Paul, uh, uh, Peter is writing to saying that, that you've been changed and you need to be ready to give an answer as people ask for an answer to the hope. Listen, followers of Christ, believers, you need to know why you believe what you believe. One of the reasons why I'm excited about this, the, the disciples' path, the journey curriculum, because it's going to go back and it's going to remind us of why we believe what we believe. It's going to give us an opportunity to be able to be grounded in, in our beliefs, to be able to share with others. Listen, I've got to be ready, Peter says, ever ready, like the battery. I've got to be like an ever-ready energizer battery, always ready to give an answer to why I believe what I believe. Not, not in a debating way. He says do it with gentleness and, and with respect to tell others why I believe what I believe. I read a story about a little girl, 10-year-old girl, back in the day when the, the tsunami hit Thailand. I can't remember how many years ago that was, but a while back. And little 10-year-old girl, named Tilly Smith, and she was on the beach with her family at this resort, and she started watching the water, and it, the, the, the ocean, the lagoon there started bubbling, and then it started to recede, and she immediately recognized what was happening. She started telling her parents, there's a tsunami coming, a tsunami coming, and people were like, what? She said, a tidal wave, and she got everybody in that group to to evacuate the beach, evacuate the hotel, and they called her a hero afterwards and everything. And here's, here's the deal. She knew what that was because a geography teacher had explained to her what a tsunami was and what a tsunami looked like. She had just gone to class and listened and been prepared so she could share the warning. She had no idea in geography class that it was going to make a difference in the lives of some people. And I thought about the gospel that we're to, we're to be prepared, we're to be in the word, we're to know, we're to study, so that we can, we can sound the warning, so we can tell people there's, a, there's a, a judgment coming. It's appointed, and a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. We're to be equipped with that ready response. There's a blue sheet out there for you to pick up. It's called Answer, Answering Objections to Christianity. There are 10 of them there. This is not for you to start a debate. Questions like, Christians are statements like Christians are all hypocrites. Um, what about all the atrocities that Christians have committed? Christianity is a crutch. It's narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the only way. Being a good person is all that matters. There's 10 of those on there. And just a little paragraph there that Frank Harbour's put together to help us understand how maybe to respond to some of those things. But to do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be like the lady on the bus. She was all excited in this this drunken man stumbled on the bus and sat down next to her, and she just turned him and said, young man, you're going to hell. That's a little abrupt, and he got up and said, oh, no, I'm on the wrong bus. He got up to leave. <laughs> now, that is true, that without Christ, we are destined to a Christless eternity, but that may not be the best approach to do it. Do it gentleness and respect. Number five. Don't miss number five. I am encouraged to leave the results with God. I must leave the results with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I pray this every Sunday morning, this paragraph. But I want us to apply it to us as witnesses, as sharing the gospel with others. Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Corinth. He says, when I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. 
For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 4, my speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Do you see how important that is? When you go to share the gospel, when you, when you begin to share your faith, your testimony, it is not with your brilliance of speech or wisdom. You're to be, you're to, to know the word of God, you're to understand it, but you're to come in weakness and in fear and trembling. But your, your testimony, your witnessing, your sharing your faith is based on the power of God. And you leave the results with him. Jesus said in John chapter six, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can't lead anyone to Christ on your own. Francis Chan shares about his burden for his teenage daughter, about how he, as a pastor, nurtured her from a young age and in the gospel and shared Christ with her and, and constantly was encouraging her to trust Christ. This is what, what Francis Chan said. He said, I spent nights crying, bawling, and praying to the Lord. Here I am known for my ability to communicate, and there was nothing I could do for my own daughter to make her fall in love with Jesus. Bingo. That's right. It doesn't matter how eloquent, how great a communicator any of us are. We are powerless to bring people to faith in Christ. He says later in his testimony, I was powerless to convict her. Yes, you were. We are. I'm encouraged to leave the results with God. It's up to him. Back in the 1960s, Philip Johnson was called to pastor a church, a large church, but 10 smaller churches in Newfoundland, Canada. And he went to the one church to preach, but he had to do like a circuit riding, a circuit riding preacher to these 10 other churches. And his first trip was 20 miles away through the snow to this one small church. And he got there ready to preach, and one fisherman showed up who, I think, made the trek of about 20 or 30 miles. And he thought, you know, let's just pray and go home. It's just you and me. But he thought better of it, and he thought, you know, between the two of us, we've logged a bunch of miles to get here, and we're going to log a bunch of miles to get home. So this is, what, this is what Johnson says. I love it. He says, we did it all. The hymns. The readings, the prayers, the sermon, the Lord's Supper, and the benediction. Just me and this fisherman. He said, I wondered while I was preaching if it was still really worth it because the guy never looked up. He never looked up. And when it was all over, he did what he always does. He did the benediction. He went and stood at the door. And the fisherman walked up to him. And, and this is what, as he told him goodbye, or was thought he was telling him goodbye, he said, you know, he said, I've been thinking about giving my life to Christ for 30 years. Today's the day. Today's the day. Now, who could have figured that one out? Who could have orchestrated that? Only God's Holy Spirit. Only God's Holy Spirit could have said, here's a man who's ready and willing. You just need to be a faithful witness. Lee Strobel, I'll close with this. Shares in his testimony about a Jewish doctor named Jake Steinberg. 
in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and Strobel's testimony about him is that he was very far from God. So if you have a Jewish man, there's already a barrier there with the gospel. You know that? To talk about the Messiah being Christ, there's already a barrier. But he was even further, in that, further away from God than that. But listen to what the doctor wrote. We think about sharing our faith. We think about going and sharing my faith with others that I'm empowered by God, that, that I've experienced a changed life, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm to be equipped, that I'm expected to share that with others. A woman with terminal breast cancer was in her early 30s with a husband and a young child whom she would soon leave widowed and motherless. Yet she seemed more concerned. This is the doctor writing. A lost Jewish doctor, yet she can seem more concerned about my spiritual welfare and knowing, my knowing Jesus than the fear that she was dying. She saw my lostness, my separation from God, as a far greater tragedy than her own illness. She trusted this Jesus then, and she was trusting him for eternity. God had allowed illness to ravage her, yet he still loved and she still loved and worshipped and followed him. He saw this in her. She seemed confident about her eternal life, and she seemed genuinely concerned about mine. That overwhelmed me. And that doctor eventually gave his life to Christ because here's someone who seemed more concerned about his lostness than about her own struggles. Folks, we have been called to share our faith with others. Let's just get out there and do it. Just simply be open. Would you pray, God, I will be a willing witness if you will bring a seeking sinner into my path. I'll be a willing witness if you bring a seeking sinner into my path. Somebody who's open to the gospel, God, I will share my faith and leave the results with you. Let's pray together.